something. I felt that I, I could spend some time doing that and the result was really beautiful. And that's something you can gift. Welcome to Make and Decorate, a podcast for makers who love to sew, quilt, and decorate. Hello, everyone. This is episode 43 of the Make and Decorate podcast, and it is originally published on February 6th of 2020. So welcome to all the new listeners and thank you for coming back if you always listen I really appreciate all of the listeners and you guys really motivate me to keep it going so we are already in finished with the first week of February it's just uh, pretty crazy how fast the time goes but uh, I was kind of um, I guess you know it's easy for me to say goodbye to January because this is uh, January and February are kind of like the most cloudiest um, parts of the year for, for us here in Chicago. And uh, it, it has not disappointed because we have had the past two weeks of straight clouds and not just clouds, but these clouds are low and heavy and dark gray throughout the entire day. So yeah, it's starting to get people a little stir crazy. But um, we've we've had over the weekend, actually on on the big game Sunday, uh, the sun did come out for a bit. So it was very nice to see that the sun still existed. So before we get started, I'd like to remind you to, um, it's, I think you can only do this if you have the uh, iTunes uh, podcast app or um, on the computer is to rate and review the Make and Decorate podcast. Uh, It's very helpful on that platform. And uh, actually, um, I do look at the stats of um, you know, the listens, um, downloads uh, of the podcast, and a large majority of you guys are on the iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, that platform. So um, a, a review would be absolutely be wonderful. And if you like this podcast, uh, and if you don't have time to review it, just share it with another person. Share it with someone you think would like it as well. And another way that you can support this podcast is to become a patron on my Patreon page, the Make and Decorate Patreon page. When you uh, subscribe, there's different levels and you can choose which one you would like to subscribe to. You will get a free monthly uh, bonus episode of the podcast. All right, so I'm going to keep this first segment um, as short as I can because um, my guest today and I had a very long conversation. So it's a longer podcast, if you can believe it, longer than usual, because <laughs> I, I, I do a long format podcast to begin with. But the content of our conversation is very good. I think you will get a lot out of it. And um, if it takes a couple of listens for you to get through it, that's great. Or if you are going to listen to it while you sew, it'll probably go by as faster than you even think. So the current project I've got going on now and actually for the next two weeks is uh, to make a throw size quilt 
So I was in, uh, we received an invitation for my husband's aunt, uh, who is turning 95. That is so amazing. And I love, I love his aunt. Um, she's just a, a wonderful person. And um, just over the years that I've known her and her husband, um, they're just always have always been there for everyone, for everyone's events, whether it's, you know, of course, they're going to be at their own children's events, but they come to all the cousins events and like our wedding and all of our cousins weddings and whatever, um, you know, event that was going on. I mean, they would drive, they would, they would go to it. And um, I really admire them for that. So I decided um, <laughs> that I should make her a throw size quilt. And I have under two weeks to make this, I will probably only have one week because I didn't have enough fabric for the background that I wanted. So I'm waiting for that to come in. It just shipped today, which I'm recording this on Tuesday the 4th. So hopefully I'll get that fabric by Friday. Um, but all right. So I've really never made a quilt start to finish. I don't think, well, I, I have, I've made a baby quilt in a weekend. Uh, but a throw size quilt beginning to end, including the um, quilting and binding is, is, you know, not usually what I do within a week's time. So I chose a pattern that lends itself to speed, but also looks very, just, um, it looks great. It's a beautiful pattern. And um, because I just, I don't know. I, I don't want to speed through something that is a gift that I'm giving to someone. Um, you know, although everything that you make and you give away, you know, you give a piece of yourself away with that and your heart and soul are in every stitch of that quilt. Um, but, you know, sometimes you, you've got a, a limited amount of time and you've got to get this stuff done. So, the pattern that I'm doing is, it's not a new pattern. It's, I think it's been around for um, a couple years, but it's the Allison Glass Cathedral pattern. And you can find that on her website, um, allisonglass.com, I believe it is. <clears throat> but the, the good thing about this pattern is that it is a raw edge applique and it's got like a medallion-y sort of um pattern where all of these pieces um, make a, a large circle um, and uh, it's it's really pretty and that's all that's on the um, face of the quilt so there's there's just the piecing of the background pieces in addition to um, fusing these pieces on to the face of the quilt and you know what the best thing is that you don't have to stitch around every piece on just the top. You actually wait until you sandwich the quilt together with the batting and the backing, and then you stitch around all of those pieces like you would regular raw edge applique, and that it, you're quilting it and appliqueing it at the same time. Pretty brilliant. So that's what I'm gonna do, and I think that 
um, that will really um, allow me to get this done uh, in time for this party. All right. So on this episode, my guest Sophia and I talk about um, several topics and uh, we start off with um, some interior design that can be accessible to everyone. And uh, we talk about thrifting and how to find things when you go thrifting. Um, And then we get into quilting which is a good uh, segment that we've got in there. And uh, towards the end, I we talk about uh, Sophia's YouTube channel. Sophia's YouTube channel is called My Great Challenge. And she does videos regularly. And she has um, a thousands of subscribers. I mean, I think it's uh, over 50. I, you know what? I haven't even checked, but the, when we recorded this in October, she had just under 50,000 subscribers. So her videos range from anywhere. It's basically about home management, but anything, anywhere from cleaning, uh, to decorating, to, um, DIY home improvement projects. And she does quilting on there as well. So, at the end, towards the end, when we do talk about her YouTube channel, we talk about, you know, just how her channel has grown and the challenges that she has faced, uh, good and bad. And as I was editing this, uh, because we recorded this back at the end of October, and uh, I I usually don't edit the um the recordings until, you know, the week before they go up. And so I'm listening to this and it really struck a chord in me because of um, what happened with the YouTube channel of Mr. Domestic, uh, Matthew Boudreaux. And Matthew was a guest on my podcast last year, right around the same time. I think uh, his episode is in uh, February. So you can go back and listen to it. And if you don't know what happened with his channel, it had been hacked and um, closed down for um, several months. And he had to work really hard uh, with YouTube and and everything to to get it back. So um, he documents it really well. And he just released a video uh, last week with an update. And I'm so happy that he's back. And in his case, it wasn't just trolls, although there were trolls and negative comments because I saw some of them when I uh, watched some of his live um, events. But also someone hacked and stole his channel. It's just evil, pure evil to to I, I don't understand what compels people to to act like that. And I say all of this because Sophia has a formal education in psychology, um, I think even focusing on criminal psychology. And uh, what she had to share about this was very insightful and uh, just gives us a different way to look at uh, when we receive negativity, 
whatever it may be and how to handle it and how to not add fuel to the fire of just those few that try to um, stir up trouble. All right, so here is my conversation with Sophia of My Great Challenge. So my guest today is Sophia, and my great challenge is her YouTube channel. Hi, Sophia. Welcome. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so honored to have you here. And, uh, you know, for my audience, Sophia has a hugely popular YouTube channel. And my great challenge is like uh, you say it's home management. So like cleaning, organizing, cooking, DIY projects, and a lot more. And I I just looked and you have nearly 50,000 subscribers. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. I never How thought I was going to make it. How do you feel about that? That's amazing. <laughs> it's uh, it's overwhelming, but you know what? At the same time, it's very encouraging because I, I really didn't think when I started the channel that it was going to be something that I would actually stick with. So, I, I, you know, I mean, I started a lot of different projects through my life and they all ended up kind of fizzling down. And this one, I think since... My first video, which I took down since, because uh, I didn't know anything about YouTube, and I ended up having um, copyright strike on it because oh. I used some popular music at the time. <laughs> so anyway, so my first video was in January 2013. So, you know, it's it's been a long road, six years. Six years. Wow. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, I just started my own YouTube channel like a year ago, and so... Um, I so I really like empathize with you and know what you go through when you film and then you have to edit and you do it so regularly that's that's what I'm trying to like get to (laughs) you'll get there you have to figure out a way it's uh, it is taxing um it's a lot of work and emotionally it's taxing I don't think that people really grasp it the amount of work that goes behind a simple video i mean the minute you have to move the camera to show a different angle it's work because you got to move everything around the camera it's not it's not that easy so if if you do multiple shots of the same project and you're doing different angles and then you have to edit that and you have to be able to show continuity in in the video without going looking all over the place it's a lot of work and and then the editing and then you got to wait for it to render it's oh yeah it's very challenging. You do your um, descriptions and I mean, right. all of that, you know. And but, then to follow up with all the comments. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about that later with the comments. But first, I just want you to share your story of where you're from and what led you to even start this YouTube channel. Um, well, you can tell I have an accent. So I love um, it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I've spent the last 28 years trying to get rid of it. (laughs) I think I'm kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's like I'll be 70 years old and people will still hear the accent. It just will never go away. Because you know what it is? It's it's I come from France. Originally, I was born in France and raised there. Um, And we put emphasis on different syllables. So sometimes when I speak fast, or when you're in front of the camera, believe it or not, you still get this little stage fright, which makes no sense because it's just you and the camera. Nobody's really watching you. The accent comes out. 
and I mispronounce <laughs> words a lot. <laughs> so I came uh, to the U.S. when I was 22. Um, at the time, I was in film school in north of Paris, and I was doing my bachelor's degree in film, and I had this grandiose ideation that I was going to be a filmmaker. And against all odds, I was really convinced that I was going to be able to make blockbuster type movies, which is the antipode of what the French cinema is all about. Mm -hmm. So needless to say, I wasn't too popular in French film school. (laughs) So I decided to do an exchange program. And I came to Brooklyn College, and I did and finished my bachelor's degree in film in an American university. And it turns out that it was pretty much the same thing over there. <laughs> they were really not looking at Spielberg or James Cameron or any of these guys as being great cinematographer, which I think is a mistake on their part mm-hmm. because they make pretty good money and they have very entertaining movies. Um, so after finishing my bachelor's degree, I realized that, you know what, maybe I just like to watch the movies, not necessarily make them. Uh-huh. Uh, so I decided to take a class in psychology and that was it. I got hooked and I took a second bachelor's in psychology. Then I went into in criminal psychology um, and finished that and worked in corrections and all of this stuff. And then the YouTube started um, to be a pretty big platform. Like when YouTube started, people were watching, but it wasn't like something that everybody knew about. Like not everybody was watching YouTube. And then YouTube became popular. And like everybody else, I started watching YouTube. And I found myself watching or being drawn to channels that were talking about subject that interested me. Um, I've always been into attempts to being the perfect housewife, trying to manage a household. I've always struggled in those areas, whether it's cleaning routine, budgeting, putting a house together, having the children. I had this idea in my head that I needed to have the perfect American house that I grew up watching movies, American movies. You know, the perfect little uh, green lawn in the front with the two-car garage (laughs) and everybody's got a, a car and the kitchen is always clean and there's always fantastic meals and she's looking great, you know. And I always aspired to that and I thought this was a reality. So I looked for this type of videos on YouTube and then it dawned on me that it was not real. It was fake. Mm. I watched a lot of videos where you would have this 26, 27 year old girl living in some gorgeous mansion, everything white and gray and silver. Mm -hmm. And she's here complaining that she has to drive her husband's BMW back to Nordstrom because the Valentino purse she bought is cutting into her shoulder. And here I am, it's 7.28 in the morning, my dog just got sick in the middle of the kitchen and I got two minutes to clean it up and go to work. And I don't know (laughs) what's going on for dinner and I haven't cleaned the bathroom in two weeks and I got cat hair all over my car seat. It's just, (laughs) I just couldn't connect with that. And I said to myself, wait a minute, it can't just be me. 
it's got to be other people out there who feel like me, inadequate and like total failures when they're watching those YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. You feel fat. You feel poor. You feel like you have horrible clothes. You feel like your kids are unruly. Your dog is ungroomed. Your car is broke. I mean, it's just like you feel like a total failure. Like, you know, across the board. And I said, no, there's got to be something else. So I decided to start a YouTube channel and I called it My Great Challenge because that's what it is, (laughs) home management for the rest of us. Yes. For those of us who really cannot identify for this whole group out there that just appears to be so perfect. Mm-hmm. And make us feel like we're not. And that's the story behind the channel. And trust me, I'm still not perfect. <laughs> it's oh, still man. a great challenge. <laughs> it's, it, you describe, you're describing me and how I feel in that whole thing of like the failure and all that stuff. And for me, even more like, you know, I'm in the interior design business. So I get embarrassed about my house a lot because, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, have the income that the clients do. Right. (laughs) And I'm not buying a $10,000 bed. And you know what I mean? And so I get that same sort of insecurity and and, uh, feel like, you know, things have to be a certain way. But, you know, the more I watch your channel and I see how real you are, um, it, it just, you know, puts me back into like, you know, this is the real world. <laughs> this is, right. you know, this is my world. That's right. that's not my world. It's just, that's my work. And that's a whole nother dimension. It's it's pretty to look at, right. but it's not real. And no. and it's, it's not being managed by one right. person. Or if it is managed by one person, it's one person who really doesn't have anything else to do or worry in life. Um, not at least not at the level that we you do. Know, and I'm looking at the background yeah. behind you. Oh. And on your camera, you can see the background behind me. And <laughs> It's the same. You're not it. So it is. It's just right. a bunch of shelves with a ton of books. Uh-huh. We don't know what really is there. I'm sure there's a couple of started projects that was never finished. Mm-hmm. It's, See, I, I'm telling you, we're the same. It's real life. It's, I it's, love it. I love it. Yeah, I love it so much. Yeah. And um, you're right. Because, you know, being in in this um fancy interior design world and these people with the big houses, they have help. I see it. I see it all the time. They all have the housekeepers that come more than once a week. Right. They even have their laundry done by them. They have whatever contractor at their disposal. And that's how things can be perfect all the time. Right. We have to do it ourselves. Like, you know, if if we want, you know, like... For instance, you did um, a stair project, and it was amazing. I was amazed. So, so we'll get to that in a little bit. But um, it, you have a way of presenting everyday home management in a very real and doable way, and it's very inspiring for me. Um, and I think with all of your subscribers, you inspire a a vast majority of people. Right. So I love that um, because. Honestly, I hate cleaning. I do not get excited about it. <laughs> There's nothing exciting about cleaning. The after it. is exciting, it but is. it doesn't stay when exciting. Done, yeah, when it's done, I feel like, oh, this is 
so nice. But just to get myself up to do it is like pulling teeth. And I um, am a procrastinator and I would much rather quilt and sew than, you know, tackle a deep cleaning project. Um, so right. then I watch you and then I get inspired and then I can do, I go do something. So I love that. And um, I think that's probably part of, you know, why you keep doing your videos because you must get some of that kind of feedback. Uh, Absolutely. I get, um, I, I get a lot of mail and it, it can be overwhelming sometimes because I, I'm, I'm so behind. Actually today I just finally responded to something like 30 something cards that I received. I get a lot of mail and you'd be surprised how many people really open up in the mail and and tell me, listen, you know, I was really, really down. And um, I, I went through a, a very deep depression and I watch your videos and just your naturalness and just the way you're not afraid to show the dust bunnies and how it gets messy. You made me feel normal. And I thank you for that. And that motivated me. And I figured if Sophia can do it, I can do it. And guess what? I, I picked myself up by the bootstraps and I started cleaning a little bit and I played your videos in the background. And now my room is clean and I'm so thankful. I get this <laughs> kind of mail all the time. And that's probably why I continue to do this mm-hmm. because it works. You know, you're not going to show just the after product and tell somebody look at how beautiful your house can look if you don't show the real process behind it and it can be and I think I mentioned that in the video a couple of weeks ago it can be very addictive to work through an area that is in such total disarray and make a clean spot and then like a concentric circle, right, or a ripple. You just go from there and you clean up this whole area. Just the before and after that you experience when you're doing this, I believe can be very addictive. Like some people can really appreciate that, that when it's just slightly disordered or just a tiny bit dirty and you clean your routine it's there's no real satisfaction coming from that mm-hmm. at least for me and I, and I believe that there's a lot of people who are like me they have they have to have this drastic yes. before and after in order to feel accomplished in order to feel like they've actually done something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's what I showed in my videos I don't I have do. any problem showing you the dirt the uh, the mildew the the uh, listen I have boys okay let me not talk about the toilet. <laughs> but I'll show that too because it's real. It it's is. real life. You you have boys in the house. You know what your bathroom smells like at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. It, and, and, you know, it's funny because um, not knowing your background, I, I always thought she is so natural on this film and she gets these angles, but you went to film school. <laughs> so you kind of have that positive right. too, because you really well, know how to capture things. Like I'm trying that. to get a little bit more dynamic into the video because it, it can, it can get, it's so redundant, you know? I mean, how many times, and I say it all the time, how many times do you guys need to watch me clean my kitchen <laughs> or scrub my sink? But people love it. I just look, I just got a message the other day. From a video I did this weekend where somebody says, Sophia, I will never get tired of watching you scrub your sink. 
Mm-hmm. And and it's amazing to me. Like it's actually some people are drawn to this. They have to see it. It motivates them. That's what keeps them grounded. Um, right. So. Yeah. And let's talk about cleaning and organizing. So uh, one of the things too that amazes me. I don't know. You have this magic spray bottle, <laughs> I, and it's not. <laughs> it's not like it, it's. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's your own mix or because it's just like a. A plain spray bottle. It doesn't have like a label or anything on it. You right. ca- carry it around with you. I, it was on a video you did in your basement. You're cleaning the laundry room. And right. then you were just, oh, I'm going to spray this and clean it. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like, I, everything that you clean, like, it, you are able to get it to sparkle. And that to me is like amazing. And I need to know like that magic. So, um, yeah. So what do I use? What do you use? <laughs> well, you got well. Number one, you you need to have really good microfiber. Not all microfiber cloth um, on the market are alike. Mm. Some of them are very good quality, and some of them are cheap quality. And when you use a cheap cloth, you're gonna get a so-so result. So the ones that I'm using, when you see me using the purple ones, they are from the Fly Lady. And they were sent to me actually by uh, a subscriber named Gail. And I'm so ever thankful for her uh, sending me those because they are super heavy duty microfiber it's it you can see it in the fiber itself it's very dense when you look at the cloth and and you kind of like try to open it up you you can't really see the little hooks of uh you know the little loops of the microfiber it's that dense okay so when you go over surface with it it really takes everything off the surface it doesn't leave any stain it it just removes everything and for cleaning i use my own mix which has been on the internet forever now um you just basically take a a, you know a spray bottle that you emptied out or that you finished and you put about half of the bottle with warm water the other half with um white vinegar and then a few squirts of Dawn detergent, the blue one, mm. the one that cuts the grease, cuts just the a grease. few squirts, yeah. right? And because the water is warm when you do that and you, you know, don't shake the bottle, but when you move the bottle around, it will dissolve the Dawn and then it doesn't reconstitute. It stays dissolved in the uh, um, the mixture and that will remove everything. The oh. water is for the liquid part, the, the white vinegar, um disinfects and the dawn really removes all of the grease that you know prints mm-hmm. whatever so that plus the microfiber mm. you can clean any surface wow yeah any I've surface. seen you do it and i've been totally amazed uh so but i didn't know about that good microfiber that makes sense really yeah you does. gotta don't hesitate i mean you know we, we go to the dollar store all the time to buy cleaning tools don't <laughs> <laughs> Buy high-end cleaning tools. That's something that I've learned over the years. Because um, nothing compares. They last longer. They work better. Yeah, you're going to spend more money. But look how many times you go to the dollar store to buy a sponge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. just buy a good one. Right. Yeah. Um, and then uh, furniture polish. So you have beautiful wood furniture. Mm-hmm. And... I've seen you do your dining table, and that is also an amazing transformation. (laughs) 
<laughs> so it's, I think it's the furniture. Is it the furniture polish that they sell in the grocery stores? It's like the... I have several ones. There's one that I like the most um, is um, lemon oil. Oh, that's right. Lemon oil. Lemon oil. Um, I think it's Wayman's lemon yes. oil, but there's different ones. Lemon oil is great for furniture that doesn't have any varnish on it. Mm. So if you have, uh, let's say, an antique piece um, that was passed down to you and you know there's no polish on it, there's no polyurethane or any schlag or anything, oh. the lemon oil is wonderful because it penetrates the wood. And that's one that I use on the dining room table that is now a coffee table that I have in my living room. Oh, uh, that I love used that. to belong. It's a huge round table. Right, the huge round table <laughs> that was that was cut down um, by Scott's step grandfather way back in the days. We're talking 1940, 1950. Um, and that is wood that was never polished with a schlack or anything like this so if i put the lemon oil on it it really absorbs it and i use that a lot during the winter month because that table is across from the fireplace mm -hmm. and that will dry the wood mm -hmm. so i'm nourishing and moisturizing my wood with that now the other one that i use a lot is restore finish um, and that you can find at your hardware store. You may find it at um, more specialized cleaning supply stores like I think Bed Bath & Beyond has it okay. in the cleaning department. It comes in various colors. You have the neutral, there's a walnut, there's a cherry. So it has a tint oh. to it. Mm -hmm. But this one is for furniture that already has a finish on it. Okay. And, you know, sometimes the schlack kind of like gets removed you can see scratches or these mm -hmm. areas where you had a, a watering or something like that on it and you put that on and it just gives it a very thin extra coat of that schlack basically mm -hmm. it doesn't last forever it will eventually you know as you wash and clean your table it will eventually comes off you know um so you got to keep reapplying it every so often maybe once a month but it gives beautiful results oh it's so beautiful that your dining table was like new it was like sparkling and you know polished and it's a street find too <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna talk about that too later that's pretty amazing so um yeah it's it's really cool because i learn like you know certain you, you have really good uh cleaning techniques and tips um and uh diy projects it, you just seem to be able to like do anything you you do so many different types of diy projects um like we I talked about earlier your basement stairs and you added didn't you add like some molding to the walls up the stairs and i did that and then the office makeover was something else too um <sighs> If you were, if you remember if I that. Saw that one, no. Oh, I, I completely go gutted out the office and I, I built did. in. Uh, wow. I have built in. Um, well, the bookcases that you see behind, there's yeah. a bookcase that are built in that I uh, I built and the see? counter where the computers are. I do a lot of stuff myself. Yeah, you do. Um, yeah, one because I'm cheap. Of <laughs> I'm not afraid of tools. <laughs> I'm cheap and I also don't have the funds. I mean, you know, I, come on, we we live paycheck to paycheck like everybody else. When you got two kids, you know, um, it's yeah. But it, this is the inspiring part of what you do because you know sometimes like when I don't have the funds, then it doesn't get done and. Um, 
you know, then it's like, it just looks like terrible. And you're just like, oh, I wish I had the money. Well, you can do it. Like I watch you, you install the faucet. Well, my husband installs our faucet, so we can do that. But, but I mean, like the, the stairs, the basin stairs and the molding and stuff like that. So, you know, and I have these old kitchen cabinets that really should be ripped out, but we can't. So I'm going to repaint them, but the, they look like boxes because the top is just straight across. So I watch you put in this molding and I'm like, I am going to put some molding on top of those cabinets. Yeah, you can totally do yeah. that. I mean, there's so many things that you can do yourself that you yeah. don't need a contractor for. And and I'm telling you, YouTube is a wonderful resource for things like this. If you want inspiration or if you want to learn how to do something, mm-hmm. go on YouTube, watch 10, 15, 20 videos. I'm telling you, there's going to be some guy out there who's going to show you exactly how to do it and bring the confidence that you're lacking when you're thinking about doing something yourself. Mm -hmm. And I do a lot of trial and error too. Um, And then it's the beauty of editing because you guys don't see me curse. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) When when I do the projects, there's a lot of lapse of time that are not accounted for in the video. Like something that looks like it only took two hours may have actually taken the entire day because I had to rip something Oh, well, that's you know, what I wonder too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> this is real life. Nobody's mm-hmm. perfect. Sometimes the mm-hmm. nail hits, um, you know, a, a hard surface and it doesn't go through. Yeah, yeah. You um, And then your outdoor deck, you stained that. You power washed it and stained yeah. it. and yeah, That was um, needed. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. And currently right now, you're you're about to, well, if when the weather gets better, you're you're repainting your the columns in front of your house and right. yes. I did watch you spackle the wood. So, um yeah, it's just really cool. It's just like some of the stuff that, you know, I I may not know how to do that part, like you you do it. Like you you spackle and you stand it and get ready to paint it and then it looks beautiful. So, I love mm-hmm. that about your show. I enjoy doing it too. That's the, I think that if, if I had not picked the career path that I took, I probably would have totally digged a trade school. Mm-hmm. I, you know, like carpentry mm-hmm. or masonry or something like this. And and it's so unfeminine when I'm trying to be the perfect housewife, you know. <laughs> but it's like you can't make up the, <laughs> that kind of contrast and paradox. But I've watched my mother um you know, most of my childhood doing projects like that around the house. And I think the first time when I was, we were in South of France, and I think I was maybe 12 or 13 years old, we had a, a kitchen that was downstairs, and mom wanted to have a kitchenette upstairs. And there was this big walking closet that was totally useless in the house we lived in. And her and I transformed it into a kitchen. Wow. And and the only thing we didn't do was the plumbing installation, but we did all the cabinets ourselves. We did all the wallpapering and the tiling and everything. I was 12 and it was fascinating. I felt so accomplished. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's where you get it then. And that's, you know, you're, you're used to it growing up with it. And then I think you're not as intimidated to to try something and to start it. Right. Yeah, I'm not afraid. That's yeah, true. Yeah, and you're not afraid to mess up. And I've even seen you say, okay, I tried this and that didn't work. So now we're going to go do this. Right. Um, <laughs> true. And there's a lot of stuff that if only you knew how many videos I've done of projects that I ended up not putting on YouTube because it ended up being a total disaster. And, and, and you know, I'm always thinking maybe I should keep like a, a bloopers uh, file. Oh, and, yeah. And- 
do a video just on, on bloopers on, on <laughs> all this mishap and me falling off the ladder and uh, oh, gosh. All that, all that that's funny. <laughs> Um, yeah, so you're you're super handy with the tools. And recently, you fixed a music box. Again, yes. I was like, astonished. And I'm sitting there watching you. And I'm like, how is she going to fix this? And I can't tell you how many music boxes that I could have saved to, to fix after I watched your video. Right, because right, when it's right. wound, it was wound too tight. And then at that point, I always thought, and every a lot of people think that like it's broken, like there's no way, right. you know, it's like it's got to mm-hmm. go. So right. um, you you peeled off the back, and uh, you were you're very patient too. Like I I I wouldn't have been that patient. And mm. you you slowly worked in this oil, and you were you know making the parts move. And it was fascinating. I was right. I was really like wow. That's that's actually something that I knew how to do. Uh, beforehand because I had music boxes when I was a kid and, and I had a brother who was kind of heavy handed and he always <laughs> overwound my boxes so if I wanted a, a, a box that worked I had to go and figure it out and uh, over time you know I, I, I learned how to do it but again I'm getting a lot of comments of people who are so fascinated with that particular video which I really didn't think was going to be a big deal like I thought that this video was going to have the lowest count in terms of views oh it's fascinating in the entire series but it's like it's almost like 10,000 views right now and, I'm, and it's like amazing to right? me and, and I have people telling me I'm going to goodwill to buy a broken music box to see if I can fix it. <laughs> I know. Because I kind of wanted to fix one too. <laughs> we all need to feel like adequate, like we can do something. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, absolutely. And that's real. To me, that's very real. Like mm-hmm. you, you can, you know, and there's so much stuff out there that people throw away because they believe it's broken. Yes. And, and you can upcycle you can give it a second life you can you can incorporate it into something else i mean there's so many things you can use mm-hmm. and reuse even though the expiration date or they they look like they've been dead for a long time yeah it, it, that you do very very well before we get to that cuz that's a huge uh, topic i want i want to hit is the thrifting and the finding gems but let, i want to touch on home deck so right. you've installed drapery you've redecorated a lot of the rooms in your house with furniture finds from Facebook Marketplace um, and uh, accessories. And mm. your decorating style to me is is a traditional. Right? Would you say that? Yes. Yeah. Traditional, but also kind of eclectic because they, they yes. really, yeah. you know, I mean, it's not picture perfect, but it, I think it's me. You do it really well. And I feel like it's also updated because... It's not like that scary Victorian where it's so much stuff. You you right. find these key pieces and you have a really good use for them. Like you got a curio. Recently, you got a curio for your dining room. And you said you had been looking for that for a while. You know exactly what mm-hmm. you wanted. And right. and I love that you, that you use these pieces that – um, people just discard now because we we just got through a whole series like in the past ten years I would say where it's all about getting rid of stuff and everybody wants to be minimalist and they don't want to be burdened by their parents' belongings and everything. But let me tell you, eBay and Etsy would not be making or reaching the market that they are if people were not looking to buy back the childhood items that they've lost. Mm. 
And there's a lot of things that are on Etsy or on eBay that are vintage things that people used to have and they miss. Oh, my mom had this. My grandma had this. And they want to buy it back. Everything goes through cycles. Mm -hmm. I really believe this is going to be reversed. I hope so, because it really is disheartening to me. And even being in that industry, seeing that heirloom furniture and I have seen a lot of companies close down, a lot of like family owned companies that make this handmade artisan furniture because, you know, people aren't buying it and they don't want the whole heirloom thing anymore. And in right. fact, um, in, in New York now, they're they're renting like they, they want to rent furniture. They don't even want to own it. Right. So I just don't quite grasp that because I, I, I think that that heirloom furniture, first of all, <laughs> it is so well made. Right. From real materials, like real wood. Mm-hmm. And it is constructed dovetail joints, like real craftsmanship level. Yeah, it's the real deal. It's the real deal. And compared to what's made today and sold. And, and it stands the, the, taste, the, the, test, the, of time. the test of time. Yeah. And, and you can pass it down mm-hmm. and, and it carries um, memories and history. And, and you can't find that from particle board. No, Sorry. No. And, but this is, you know, it's, it's what we see today in, in the new generation is the disposable generation they they only want things for the moment and then they'll change idea and that's why i think that stores like tj maxx or or even home goods are popular because you can just flip your decor in one weekend if you want if you're tired of the gray and pink you can go and get all turquoise and orange and they will have all of the decor you need like in a box and you just open the box and you put everything you know in your living room and voila you have a totally different atmosphere and people don't see value in a decor that just persists through time like I remember when I was a kid we would go to my aunt and my uncle in South of France and their house never moved it was exactly the same way on year one or year 15 like I, I and I was going there from age three up until one of my cousins got married so I had to be 19 20 years old and the clock was exactly the same way it was before on the mantle flanked by the same two statues with the same plant in the corner, which of course was now huge. And it's, it's just like the whole decor was just did not move through time at all. And I think that the new generations we're dealing with, they, they, they don't know what to do with that. They need this movement. They need dynamic and they need that in their decor as well. So it's reflating, nothing stays and that's why they're okay with renting furniture. Because if you buy a piece, you're committed to keeping that piece. So what do you you got now you're gonna go from point A to point B. You move from one house yeah. to the other, now you gotta carry that piece. And they don't yeah. want that. Yeah, and it, it just kind of saddens me because then they they have absolutely no idea of how to determine quality from right. not quality. That's the downfall, yeah. They don't know what's good. Um I mean, look at the piece that I have in my dining room that was um, Scott's great-great-grandfather. He pretty much built that piece. And 
I don't think we can find a craftsman today that can reproduce this. Right. Yeah. Even if you go to Virginia, where they have all of the, uh, you know, South Carolinas, where you have all of the furniture makers, the Bob Mackies and all of that, I don't even think they have that quality furniture anymore. Right. Yeah. Because they, um, I mean, I used to work at a furniture store that used to have everything made on the East Coast, um, up and down, like even in New York, all the way down North Carolina. And then uh, six years later, by the time, you know. Um, I left there, they started outsourcing all the dining chairs to China. And then they were having problems with the dining chairs finish matching the tables that were still made here. And it right, just didn't make sense to me at all. And I was just like, oh, man. Oh. That, yeah, that's 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 terrible. Mm-hmm. That's that's sad. So, um, so yeah, that and that I really appreciate with your home and and how you have it decorated and um, how you make it um, just very welcoming and inviting. It feels very warm and inviting to me, and um, not sterile and cold and um, you know like um, even Lived like. In. Yeah, lived in. Not like you can't touch anything. You cannot touch anything right. in this room. I feel like you could walk into the room and <laughs> sit down. And <laughs> and you're welcome to touch anything because I love to talk about my stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you can pick up anything and say, hey, what's the story behind this one? <laughs> and you have a really vast knowledge of stuff like um, the different types of pottery and dishes and um, even... Um, furniture and um, stuff like that. Like you have a knowledge of vintage dishes and mm. stuff like that. So, I well, mean, thank you. how is, how do you know so much about this? Is it from you growing up in France or just that you have an interest in it and you've kind of learned over the years as you've t- started to source um, things? A, a little bit is, is definitely growing up in France. Um, I, my mother always had an interest in, empire style furniture and we we always had antiques growing up um that were purchased they were not passed down um but you know things that were purchased and we always went to museum i was you know i've I've been around but i really i can't say that i knew a lot about american furniture and decorative arts when I moved here. Um, It's something that I picked up as an interest. And I have to tell you, not watching TV really helps because I don't waste time watching TV. I nourish myself through books, uh, videos. Um, I go on YouTube a lot. I go on the internet a lot. And, and if I find something and I don't know anything about it, I will go and try to grasp as much knowledge about something. Like, That's what I do. Yeah. Right. I so over the years, you keep doing that. And then you end up having this encyclopedia in your head. And it's not all knowledge. You don't know everything, mm-hmm. but you know a little bit about a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And and it keeps growing and growing. Like, I don't think I know a lot about pottery, but because identification of marks is something that I still struggle with. Mm-hmm. But I've learned an appreciation through the years. Mm-hmm. You know, I can distinguish a good piece from a so-so piece. Yeah. So you have a good a eye. Piece. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, definitely. And so and, and that's something that you practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but China and crystal. 
and decorative items have always been a passion of mine. Mm. I absolutely love China. <laughs> and you can tell because Lord knows yes. I have too much of it. But yes, and I, can tell. I could say I don't have enough, but. Well, and the one pottery that I ended up learning about because of one of my clients collected it was French confit pots. And they're, oh, yeah. they are very, very expensive here. I don't know how expensive they are over there, but... Not at all. See? Very oh. <laughs> common over there. Oh it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a traditional pot to put foie gras in it um, and, and to put different types of terrines. And I mean, it's like everything else. You have some that are pretty ancient, but it's a very common pottery because uh, it's a... Um, uh, how could I describe it? It's an everyday object. Right. That's what I learned about it. It's like an everyday thing. And I'm like, how are these so expensive over here? But I guess because they're from France. And Yeah, exactly. As soon you as know. you put a French label on something, right, it's, right. which really makes no sense. <laughs> it's really, it's not a big deal over there. But do you remember when I was talking about the, the, the French uh, in, in the videos from Paris and I went to the flea market mm-hmm. and there was this lady who was selling um, vintage linen from the 1950s. And my mom and I looked at them and we knew right away they were very good quality linen. And the lady t- was selling them for eight euros, which is about nine bucks a oh, piece. Wow. And and she told us, you know, American women come here all the time and they buy them by the dozen and they resell them on Etsy. I don't even know what Etsy is. <laughs> <laughs> and she, and I'm, I'm told they sell them for like $34 a piece. And I said, the way you get on it. Yeah. And, and that's basically because it's French. I, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a dish towel. But it's <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. It's a good it's quality a good one. one. Um, so let's talk about because uh, I'm very curious about this because you do videos about um, you know thrifting and finding these gems not only for your home but you have an Etsy shop called Frenchie and Tubby, right? And um, I actually bought something for you because I love Delftware and you had this beautiful. Oh, you Delft base. Yes. I love it. I love it so much. (laughs) I love blue and white dishes like the China and stuff like that. And Delft, Delft is something that is is still kind of accessible that I can collect because like there's this German Meissen that is so expensive and it's also blue and white, but it's gorgeous. So um, yeah, but it's nice. Yeah. 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 So You've done some videos and they're they're pretty um, educational, I think, because I love how you walk through um, wherever you're at, whatever thrift shop or, or something, and you're going through and you're picking stuff up and looking at it. You're looking for marks. You're looking for if there's chips or um, like if there's uh, mugs or glasses, you want like at least four of them. You, you're not going to take three. And <laughs> so right. talk about your process and how you do that. Um, well, I mean, this is fairly new to me, the uh, um, purchasing for the purpose of reselling the, the uh, you know, the, the sourcing mm-hmm. items to put on the shop. And that, that really came out of necessity because, as you know, my husband had lost his employment mm-hmm. back in March. I was like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? I got to put my talents to work. <laughs> I figured, all right, let me see if I can challenge myself with this one. And I really embraced it. I was welcoming the challenge because I love my thrifting. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, you know, it's another one of those things that you learn as you go. Um, I have, I believe, a photographic memory. And I spend a lot of time, again, on eBay, on Etsy, and I just browse. I just look at things. And memory is such that I can remember items and the price and something similar. I will spot it on a shelf at Goodwill and say, ooh, I know I can sell this. So I would inspect it. And if it looks like it's in good shape, then I will grab my phone and I will check against, um, you know, whatever is currently for sale on any platform. And I got to tell you, image recognition is a fantastic tool for that because you can take a picture of the item against, you know, a relatively wide background. Usually I use the ground, you know, the floor Mm -hmm. at the Goodwill and you take a picture of it and then you do on my Android phone, it's called um, Bigsby Vision. But on Apple, I think it's just the Google reverse image. Um, I think that's what they use. And it will find, I would say a good 70% of the time, it would find the item for you. Really? And then you get, yeah, and then you get an idea of what, what to call it. Because sometimes I look at things, I have no idea what they are. Yeah. I give you, for instance, I just found three what they call piano babies at a thrift store over the weekend. And I had no idea what a piano baby is. And it's basically a porcelain figurine of a little baby. Uh, and they used to make series of them. They were made very well made in Japan at, at the time where Japan was exporting a lot. So that was, you know, 40s, 50s, up to the 60s. And people used to place them on the pianos. Because huh. back in the days, ladies knew how to play the piano. That was part of the education of a proper lady. And they would know music and they would put those little babies on top of the pianos in the home. Now you can't get rid of your piano because people won't even pick it up for free. (laughs) Oh, I know. I I have to tell you about this good find I got like 20 plus years ago um, because I took 12 years of piano lessons. And oh, wow. I like to you know, still you play. So um, looking for just like a used piano because, you know, the ones in the stores are like twenty to $40,000. Well, I found a 1910 Becker Brothers Upright Grand. Wow. Beautiful carving in the wood on, on the front panel. And it was $300. Get out. <laughs> I was like... To my, it, it wasn't my husband yet, but I was like, um, oh, I almost felt like I was getting away with something, and I was just like, let's let's go, let's do it. <laughs> we're, we're taking it. Did, did you get it? <laughs> I got it. That's the piano I Wonderful. have. Wonderful. Yeah. Say, but people yeah. can, don't know how to get rid of them. It's amazing. Like people can find pianos for free. Yes. People yeah. will pay you to remove them from their house. And back in the days, it was like, you, what do you mean you don't have a piano? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're like, oh, it just takes up too much space. And I, it, it, it always like gives me heartbreak when. <laughs> When like, you know, we're, we're doing it in a client's home and they just like discard the piano like it's just a piece of trash. And I'm like, right. but but it's beautiful. And sometimes they're, they're like baby grands. Right. And, and you don't know like, what they have. They have what? no use for it. Yeah, I know. They she, don't. And, and, you know, I mean, and that's I'm like that when I see China and Crystal in the trash because, you know, I, I pick trash, too. I, I have no shame. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, really, it, I, I live in an area where people just discard stuff. Sometimes I'm wondering, like, what, what are they thinking? And mm-hmm. I don't know if you checked my Facebook page. 
uh, last night, but we, we weren't doing our round. We do our rounds on Tuesday night, um, either north side or south side of my town or one town over. And I found an entire tea set from Slovenia in pristine condition, still in its original packaging and box. And it was on the sidewalk and somebody had slightly opened it to see what was in there. Because, you know, I'm not the only one picking the trash. <laughs> Obviously, I must be inspiring others or the other way around, whichever came first. And somebody saw that. It was like, man, that's not for me. I come behind this guy and I open it. and I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> they threw what? <laughs> so I did some research on it. The thing is worth $280. I could actually get $200. I'm not going to sell it for that. But I could get $280 for it. It's pristine condition. And I get like that. So it's like what you felt about the piano. I feel mm-hmm. like that for China and Crystal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's amazing what people discard. Like they, they just don't see value. They don't care. They just look at something for them. It's mm-hmm. ugly. They don't want it. Yeah. Yeah. I love the China too. And... Um, what talk about this because is it your the is this something that's like common and where you live where people can just put anything on the curb or do they is it a certain like time time of the month or is it once a week or how does that even work because it, <laughs> well I, I don't think that really happens that much around here otherwise I'd be like out there. <laughs> Well, in in Europe, uh, we could talk about a little bit of history here. In Europe, it's called Monster Day. Okay. Um, and and it comes down from Middle Ages, where back in the days we're talking eleven hundred, twelve hundred, thirteen hundreds, the nuns and and the charitable works would go through towns and villages, and you would be allowed to discard of your baby or your child who was deformed, who was technically a monster. And he would be picked up, put in a carriage, and he would go to the orphanage. Lord knows what happened to those children. I fear the worst. But it's been known for being called Monster Day. And now it's called Bork Day because nobody really wants to acknowledge the history behind it. Mm. Uh, I don't blame them. Uh, So a Bork Day in my town is um, every Wednesday – some towns do it once a month, and it's where you get rid of your bulk stuff. It's usually your furniture, your dishwasher, your, your, the big stuff that doesn't fit in a regular uh, garbage pail. But in Paris, it's almost every night. And my sister has been doing that for a very long time. And you would be surprised the stuff you find on the sidewalks at three o'clock in the morning in Paris. And I'm going to send her this recording because I have not begged enough in the past 20 years for this particular piece she found. Are you ready for you sitting down, right? I'm sitting down. Okay. She found a 19th century painting of Napoleon as first consul. It's a portrait of Napoleon that is hand-painted. It's an oil painting. It is signed 1814. (laughs) It is the most glorious portrait of Napoleon. It's in her living room. She found it against a garbage can in Paris at 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh, my. Somebody was moving. They got tired of seeing Napoleon, and they got rid of (laughs) And, and it's just like, and she's she found sterling silver sets, oh. um, um, you know, Chinese silk screens, you, you, amazing stuff. 
jam pottery cash pose that people dispose of. They move. They don't want to move it. Oh, we boy. don't really have a system where people come in like the charitable agencies like Salvation Army, veterans, they don't come to you, it has to pick up stuff. Um, we don't really have that. Maybe they do now. I don't know because I haven't been there in so long. But it's amazing the amount of stuff that people get rid of in large cities in France. So going through the trash and picking up things on the sidewalk is not frowned upon in France because people see value in things. Um, obviously, the France has a bigger and longer history than the United States. So people through schooling and through experience and being exposed through exposure alone, they have a little bit more, um, I would say, um, appreciation for certain objects and they can spot something really quick like, oh, that's a good piece. I know what that is because they've been exposed to it before. So they would pick it up. And, and a lot of French homes have this eclectic look. That's a little bit of what you would see in my house where you would have a piece of furniture from Victorian time next to a piece of furniture that's mid-century. And on top of it is some kind of crystal that is uh, from even even earlier times and it's all mix it cohabits into this weird look that's very eclectic but it's so typical of what you would see in French homes like we don't really go to a store and buy the whole living room set mm. where you buy the two sofas with the ottoman with the coffee tables and the matching lamps we don't do that in France. It doesn't, it doesn't really happen that way. People pick and choose what they want and sometimes it doesn't match and that's okay because mm -hmm. that's what you like yeah yeah right yeah so the, the picking up trash for me is kind of like it's a treasure hunt it's like you never know what you're gonna find oh my gosh I like just I'm doing it right now even like I start getting more and more on the edge of my seat and when I watch your videos and you're going through and you're finding this stuff and like I'm, Barbie dolls right? I was just gonna talk about that yes you found the vintage Barbie and Ken with their cases and the clothing mm -hmm. and they yeah and, and you knew it was valuable and yes. you were I loved it because you were so excited and then you get, <laughs> you get me excited and then <laughs> actually it's not Ken it's Dr. Uh, oh. Kill, Kill there or something like that it was oh. uh, Chamberlain but it doesn't matter because I have the Ken clothes and I have the uh, the raincoat the lined <laughs> raincoat alone just that piece of clothing is worth 40 bucks but it's a 1958 barbie the bubble cut 1958 barbie that still has the patent pending written on the back it's written on a butt <laughs> on, on the right cheek that's what it's stamped and and we're made in japan it says japan on her foot and and she's series number five wow like sometimes you see them for $200 on eBay and the series 11. I got a number five <laughs> off the trash. Okay. From the trash. Oh, it's but so she amazing. Does have, she does have green ear um, because the, the earrings back then were made of brass. And if the little girl kept the earrings inside the doll, the brass would corrode and it would give this green tint over all over the plastic mm. and that i have to be honest is very difficult to remove so i'm gonna do a series where i'm probably gonna ruin the doll <laughs> and everybody's going to kill me on the internet for ruining the doll but i want to be very clear i found it 
in the trash. Yes. It was going to the trash anyway. <laughs> okay. But I want to clean the clothes and I want to press them and I want to make reproduction of clothes. And I want my, my grandiose idea here is to sell it, clean it. There's a way of cleaning it with CLR um, where you leave the CLR on, on the cotton pad on the stain and you leave it on and it takes about a month to get rid of that green. It's a very long process. Mm -hmm. So that doll letting you know right now, folks who are listening, (laughs) it's not going to be up for sale until at least February or March, just saying. (laughs) (laughs) So my, my idea here is to make some vintage clothes for it and just sell it as a full closet with the Barbie doll, with the accessories and everything and, and and make quite a bit of money because people collect. They do, you know, and yeah. yes, you threw it out. Then I guess they either didn't care or didn't know what they were throwing away. Yeah, there are definitely people out there that collect Barbies. They know everything about every one of them, and so that's who's going to purchase this, and they're going to yeah. appreciate it. So right. that it's, also can make you feel good too. It's a whole world out there. And yeah. again, I don't know much about Barbies. I've been looking at it, you know, here and there, browsing the internet. Oh my goodness! It's a whole universe of Barbie collectors, and I mean, they go to there some are they're great lands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're serious. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it, <laughs> but I don't know that much about it either. But if I were to see that in the trash, I I still would know there's value in it because I know that there's people who collect that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, that's pretty cool. 1958 Barbie and a midge. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, it's it's pretty cool because um, there's some stuff that you it, – it, it's just interesting because um, I'm amazed and I, I, I learn, like, you know, what you – because there's stuff that you pass on, and I'm like, what was wrong with that? <laughs> but you're like, that's not going to sell. I've had this in my shop, and those didn't move, and, right. you know, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's some stuff that, that, that doesn't sell, um, you know, I mean, and sometimes – I know it won't move because the price is going to be too high. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you, and you have to take that into consideration too. I mean, the majority, I would say, of people who purchase from my Etsy shop are people who are coming from my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And and I have to be considerate of that as well. I, I don't want to put up items that are like going to be $600, $700. Like, who am I kidding? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to be a normal, regular girl here. And I have a... Etsy shop that's going to be luxury items like this mm-hmm. it, this, it doesn't compute to me it, it's got to match okay mm-hmm. so I'm struggling in every aspect of my life I'm trying to make an extra income and I want people to enjoy stuff sometimes they purchase it because it's from me sometimes they purchase it because they had one sometimes they purchase it like the blue death because you liked it oh, love it thank mm-hmm. you for that purchase <laughs> uh, but i i don't want to seem like i'm greedy either you know yes, so yes. some items i know i could sell for a lot of money and i'm just like okay, you know what let me not bother with this well yeah and you're pretty transparent about that on your channel and i admire that because you you are fair you you sell things for i think a very fair price and um, just because you could get a certain more higher price, you don't right, do that right. because I think you also want to sell it. And like you said, you know, you know, a lot of it's coming from your audience, but um, that, you know, people will enjoy it and appreciate it. And it's not, 
I mean, it is about a source of income, of course. Right, right. But I think there's also sort of like a, you know, this is going <laughs> to a good home. <laughs> right. Well, and then, you know, there's, there's, there's two methods in business. You can either do the uh, uh, slow dime or the fast nickel. So you can either sell a lot of things that are a nickel mm-hmm. or you can wait and wait to sell two or three things are a dime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's about the quantity. I, w- right now we're in a phase where we want to try to sell as much as we can to build a, uh, a following and have an Etsy shop that has good standing mm-hmm. in terms of the amount of items that it sells. Mm-hmm. Because these are the Etsy shop that usually gets promoted on top of the page. Um, okay. and, and it's based on your ratings. It's based on... Um, you know, the reviews, it's based on the number of items that you've sold. So if I put things out there that are staying in the shop for seven, eight months, and I only have two sales, I'm going, I'm going to remain an unknown in the world of Etsy. Mm. And, and that's not what I want to do. I want to really establish a shop because that was always one of my dreams was to have um, one of those little needful things type shop. in You know, like yeah. a mom and pop type little boutique mm-hmm. in town. I'd love to do that. Oh, yeah. You would have the cutest little shop, too. It would be a, like yeah. a cheese salon, too. So come and chit-chat with me, and I'll tell you. <laughs> you need to know about piano babies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. So um, we're, getting, we're, we're nearing the end, but we have to talk about the quilting because um, – Oh, yes. Because a lot of my listeners are quilters. I'm a quilter. And when I saw you quilting on your show, I was like, yeah. <laughs> it was fun. And you even, one of my f- first videos that I watched, it was a few years ago, um, you were making a little space for your quilting um, area. And it was just at the bottom of the stairs. And it was right. like a little small corner. Right. And it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> is that where it's still at? Because I feel like yeah, it's in a different yeah, yeah. space. It's, I feel no, like no, it's, it's a different it's, spot. It's still, no, I just moved the table the other way, but it's still there. That's oh. the only space I have, really. But it seems so much bigger than what it was originally. Maybe it's just the direction you place the table in then. Mm, probably, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's more well lit now, too, because it was uh, – first it was – because you were talking about the lighting, <laughs> how right. it was an issue. So um, – but yeah, how long have you been quilting? Because I don't think you've been quilting that long, right? No, not long. I, I made a quilt um, – you know, it's, here's another thing. Like, you, you grew up in Europe. We don't really do quills. Mm-hmm. That's really an American thing. And and we always associated quilts with Amish and Quakers and all of these, um, you know, different groups. And patchwork is pretty popular in England, but it's really not something that, that caught up in, um, in, in France. France is more about embroidery and, and the cross-stitch and, and sewing. Definitely everybody knows how to sew over there. Um, so... When I was growing up and and it was all about America, I want to be an American, I want to move to America, which I finally did. Um, Quilting was always something that interested me. So, but I don't know how to sew. My mom skipped that part in the teaching. She taught my sister how to sew, but she didn't teach me. And so I, I would say that I have two left thumbs when it comes to sewing. I'm really not that good, but I always wanted to learn to quilt. So I'm self taught. And I made one quilt um, that I've kept back in the days. I think my first one had to be four years old. So it was 
13 years ago. And it was a total disaster because I had no skills whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, the binding is all messed up. I didn't know how to do binding. Um, and it was horrible. So I gave up. And then I decided to pick it up again. Um, I really out of interest because I like quilts. I like to look at them, to touch them. I'm a very tactile person, so I like the texture of a quilt. And I really wanted to master this. Well, I'm kidding myself. I'll never master it. <laughs> but I really wanted to get my feet wet into this you know, water of, of the, this whole idea of quilting. So I said, okay, well, what am I going to, what do I have to lose? You know, let me, let's just try it again. And I got hooked. That's what happens. <laughs> it was, it was my, I finally found something that was my me time that was creating relatively small of a mess compared to scrapbooking. You know, cause I used to scrapbook and it was amazing the amount of debris Mm-hmm. that scrapbooking would create and it was it was impossible to clean up it would take days and days to clean up the mess from two scrapbook pages that you created but quilting I felt that I, I could spend some time doing that and the result was really beautiful and that's something you can gift true yes, yes. I love the idea of do you know that since I've started quilting I've only kept maybe two or three items the rest has been any big quilts I've made have been gifted mm-hmm. I've not kept any big quilt um, and and I love that that you can make something and sign it and give it to somebody either for display or they're actually going to use and and they're going to last mm-hmm. like a quilt is almost indestructible if you think about it if it's well made unlike mine you know it it, it would last a very long time they don't come up at the seam or anything but it's very addictive um and it's a great therapeutic tool anybody out there if you have issues with anxiety if you have issues with feeling isolated, get yourself a sewing machine. You don't have to spend a lot of money. You can buy a brother mm-hmm. sewing machine or a singer sewing machine under a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. All you need is straight stitches and maybe a zigzag. Mm-hmm. Um, and and start quilting. Do something simple. I have videos on my channel to show you how to do simple um the the basic stuff the uh, the flying geese and the and the half square triangles that's the basic foundation for any quilts mm-hmm. and and start quilting and you will find your anxiety will diminish you will not be focusing on your loneliness or your solitude or any issues that you have and next thing you know it's six hours later that's what I was gonna say I feel, always feel like I go into a time warp. And that time just goes by like that when I right. am quilting. And you get, yeah, you get totally swallowed mm-hmm. into it. And, yeah, it's frustrating at times. you got to get to Sim Reaper and, <laughs> and, you know. But it's, uh, uh, it's so rewarding. It's so satisfying. I love it. Sometimes you would hear me complain in the house, you know, I haven't quilted in three weeks. <laughs> Something's got to give. <laughs> I'm going downstairs and I don't want to hear about anything. I'm quilting. <laughs> and, it is and, funny. <laughs> and it and it draws you back. You want to go back and you can't wait. And as you're quilting, you know what you're thinking about? 
your next project. Mm-hmm. You're not thinking about the current project because that's on automa- autom- automatic. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like you're just like going through the motion. You're doing your quilting or you're doing your your, your um, hand sewing, and you're already thinking about your next project. Like, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna do this one or that one? Oh, how about these colors? And you start thinking about your fabric stash, and it's just like you get swallowed into this universe. And it's, I get it. That's something that I totally get it. Like people will quilt until their fingers can no longer quilt. Mm-hmm. I've seen ladies with horrible arthritis and they can't quilt anymore. But gosh darn it, they will still figure out a way to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Bigger uh- stitches maybe. <laughs> Well, yeah, and um, since they made these uh, die cutting machines, they uh, a lot of uh, people with arthritis get those because right, absolutely, know, scissors and rotary cutters hurt their hands, wrists, or arms, and you know they even these die cutters are um, you press a button and they're electric and they go. I've got the right. the little one that you crank through, but it's fun. <laughs> and you can get the pre cuts too. I mean, if yeah. you, if you if you want to learn to quilt and you don't know, buy. I have no problem telling people that buy a pre cut quilt mm-hmm. and put it together. Yeah, you know, at least you'll get a feel for it. Right. Don't right. be a fabric snob. Don't be a, a pre cut like. Oh, I'm not going to do pre cut. Do what it takes for you to learn and and enjoy yourself. It's just, it's a hobby. It's a craft. There's no rules Mm -hmm. on how it has to be done. Right. And even if it's a pre-cut or it's a a quilt kit, um, it's still, it's still like made by you. And and, right. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. And there there was one quilt that you showed and I think it was for your was it for your father in law, but it was very patriotic. Oh yes. The valor. Yeah. That was a challenge, that quilt, because um I wanted to learn uh a skill that I had not acquired yet. Um and it's directional fabric. Ah, okay. And uh some of the triangles in that um Quilt. It's it's actually if anybody's a quilter out there, it's a galaxy quilt. Um, and and if you're a quilter, you know which one I'm talking about. It's got like all these stars, and it mm-hmm. makes those circles that are really not circles, but it's just the way the fabric is positioned. You, it feels like it's circles, almost like the Olympic rings mm-hmm. uh, with stars in it. And I picked a fabric that had little American flags, but the little banners, and they pointed in a specific direction. And I needed all of them regardless of where they were positioned in the quilt to have the flag going down. Mm. So I had to learn to cut directional fabric, meaning like everything had to be cut where the flag would go down. So it didn't matter if it was a sideway triangle going left or a sideway triangle Mm. going right or triangle that was upside down or downward, the flag always had to look the same way. And let me tell you, did I waste a lot of fabric learning the process, but I got it. Mm-hmm. And now my next quilt, if it has directional fabric, I'll know how to do it. Um, every quilt that you make is a learning experience. It's amazing how from one quilt to another, you acquire a new set of skills that doesn't get lost with that quilt you carry it on to the next quilt and that's what i love about it is that every quilt that you make is going to get better and better and better 
it that's really what it does. Yeah, it does. And you're right because um, the, quilting is that's what I love about it. It's always challenging and you're always learning. And I always want to learn forever. Just I, I want to soak up all the knowledge and the experience and, and mm-hmm. to make things. I'm a maker. And um, just uh, there's even different types. I mean, so there's foundation paper piecing and, you know, like you said, the English, they do the um, English paper piecing where they actually hand sew <laughs> the hexagons right. and shapes together. And um, applique, I mean, it, it's endless. It is such a vast um, kind of an industry. And right. there's so many people that do it and love it. And um, I just love connecting with other quilters and other creative people because we all have that same enthusiasm mm-hmm. and love for fabrics and for making all these different patterns and designs and gifting right. it too. Gifting, right? Really, yeah, it's, it's a, a big huge part, part of it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And and I tell you what, if you, if you aren't sure about quilting, because a lot of people when they think quilt, they they think the old Americana type quilt, you know, with the basket or you know stars and things. Like this, check out on the internet where the next quilt show is in your area, and just out of curiosity, go see a quilt show, and you're going to be amazed by not just the craftsmanship in in regular traditional American patchwork type, but also um, all of the applique work, and then the art quilts. There are. Um, not traditional, and and they are phenomenal. I mean, you are looking at true pieces of art, and sometimes it's it's you you don't even believe it's fabric and threads. Mm-hmm. Um, they they recreate entire nature sceneries out of tiny little pieces of fabric and and with embroidery over it. And it's just amazing. And and if you are not inspired to try to at least pick up a, a needle and thread and, and put two pieces of fabric together, I don't know what else would do it because you, you can only be in awe and, and inspired when you go to a quilt show. I mean, I feel so little when I go to a quilt show. I, I, I feel like there's no way ever that I'm going to get to this level. Um, you know, but you come out of it motivated because we all buy stuff when we go there. So, of course, we have ideas of, of what we're going to do next. But it's uh, go to a quilt show, really. Check it out. Go, go see what they have and what it's about. Because it's not just old ladies uh, around a table putting pieces of fabric together in, in powdered blue and old pink colors. Oh, no. There's such beautiful fabrics out today and and mm. colors and um, different styles. So, yeah, I'm glad that you're a quilter. It just it makes me happy <laughs> when I see you <laughs> do your quilting. And and, and it's, it is therapeutic, I think, for everyone. Oh, yes, um, yes. Definitely for me. Mm-hmm. For and, sure. and, and I'll say it again. If, if you suffer from anxiety, this is really the one um, coping skill that will be your biggest ally. Mm-hmm. You, you will find that all of your anxiety, all of your triggers, all of that will disappear if you pick up on quilting. Mm-hmm. Much more so than any other hobby and crafts that I've picked um, in the past. Quilting is, is, I think, probably the most therapeutic yeah. of all of the crafts and hobbies out there. Yeah, I agree, because I actually do have anxiety. <laughs> and, um, and I don't like huge groups of people. Um, and I'm an introvert, so it's it's a perfect, you know, thing for me to do, right? Because uh, it's very relaxing. It while, is while being challenging at the same time. 
Right. All right. So um, just in, in closing, I wanted to ask you, how is the growth of your channel impacted your life, good and bad? Uh, all right, good. I, I am in absolute awe at the impact that I have made on people in general. Um, you know, I mean, I'm just out there doing videos. Some of them I'm aware are silly. Some of them are just like, what was I thinking? And some of them I'm aware are very inspiring. And that's usually the cleaning videos, what we call motivational time-lapse cleaning videos. People seem to like those a lot. <laughs> <laughs> to my dismay, <laughs> I hate cleaning. But anyway, I'll continue. See, I would never know that videos. about you that you hate it because I, I, know, I, I hate, really hate cleaning. <laughs> I hate, hate cleaning. <laughs> you can tell that's what the house gets. And, and you know, listen. Over the years, I've pushed myself so much to try to figure out a routine, and and sometimes I'm figuring, you know, why don't I just come up with my own system? Mm-hmm. Because I've tried everybody else's system. And I know there's a lot of people who are like me. There's got to be a system that I can put together that would work for people like me. So maybe the, maybe that's what's the next step with my channel. You never know. We'll mm-hmm. call it my great challenge, the true art of cleaning for slobs like Sophia. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's so it is challenging in, in a way. Um, and then I'll talk about the reward. Let me talk about the negative first, because okay. I never want to end on negative. Oh, OK. It is it is challenging in a way that you have to when you get to a certain level uh, with YouTube, which it's not just in terms of growth in numbers, but it's also in terms of income, because let's be honest here. And you're not going to have a lot of YouTubers that are going to be willing to say that it is a source of income. Okay, we continue to do it because it's a source of income Uh, and also a fun thing. I mean, you have to be into it, obviously, if you if it's if you feel like you're a slave to it, it's going to transpire in your videos. I think that people are going to see that you're only doing it for content or whatever, but it's challenging in terms of finding fresh new content. Um, And that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm really happy that I've got this Etsy thing going on right now, because I can do a whole side of of the channel that is, you know, of course, I'm doing the quilting, but I can do other things and new things to add and build on the content. Because I really believe that after a while, people will be tired of watching me clean my sink, even though they're not complaining yet. But eventually people are going to be like, how many times am I going to watch you clean? You know, you know, so it, it, it is challenging. And then there's the um, few far in between complaints that you receive um, through, you know, messages and through letters and through comments, which I'm real quick to get rid of at this point. You're always going to have the haters, mm-hmm. you know, the the the, uh, the the sour people out there that it doesn't matter what you put out. And and I know who they are, you know, Um Usually, you know, I put a video out and within three seconds of the video being out on YouTube and publicized is already a thumbs down. Give me a break, <laughs> Eugene, watch any of the video. I didn't even finish saying, hi, guys, this is Sophia from my great thumbs down. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so I know who you are. You're not even you're putting a thumbs down because you don't like me. But what do you watch me if you don't like me? Right. So that's a bit of TV. I don't have cable TV for 
two and a half years now. Why? Because I didn't like it. I didn't like what was on it. I didn't like the news. I didn't like the shows. I didn't like any of it. I was being bored beyond tears. Nothing was interesting. It was all fluff. I stopped watching it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So... You, you're going to get to a point when you, you reach, I think once you reach about 10,000 subscribers for all the new YouTubers out there, you will see that once you reach 10,000 subscribers, the haters and the trolls are going to start coming out and they will attack you. And they usually, I got to be honest, they're usually women and they always attack you on things that women get hurt by mm. your weight, your skin, your hair your nails and the state of your house because that's all they know and they will say horrible things about your weight your skin your hair your makeup your clothes and the state of your house and they will do that relentlessly until you eventually communicate with them and that's what they want they want you to have a dialogue with them they want a reaction they want a reaction Mm. and if you don't give it to them then they get emboldened Mm. Now they start attacking you on all sorts of other things. They attack you about your relationship. They attack you about the the kind of person you must be at work, the kind of person you must be. And they won't stop. They just continue to do that. So there's only one cure for all of this. Delete the comments. Mm -hmm. Delete. Yeah. There's a, a very easy tool on YouTube. It's you hide the person from other users. So they feel justified. They feel satisfied. They go and they put their little comment out there. And the comment is basically out there. But the rest of the uh, users on YouTube can't see the comment. Yeah. So you just do that. and But it's time consuming because sure. that's all I do all day long. I'm constantly monitoring comments. Like, but you, what is it now? Oh, yeah, I got a big zit on my chin. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh. All right. What else do you have? <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> I just finished making a cobbler. That's all you got to talk about is the state of my skin. Okay. You know, but you're not going to help that. This It's your public figure. People are not going, not everybody is going to buy into it. You're not going to satisfy 100% of the audience. Um, so I had a supervisor once who told me, hey, if half of them hate you and half of them love you, you're doing your job. Mm. So I think I'm doing my job. I'm okay with that. So that's one of the challenges is, is you know, looking for good content that is not repetitive. Uh, that can be very difficult. And then dealing with the haters and the trolls because they, they're now going away. I New know. ones will come behind yeah. them. You yeah. know, and that's okay. You, you got to be thick skin. Let me tell you. If you're insecure, maybe YouTube's not for you. Because they, they will catch, they're predators, these people. They will profile you really fast. They will know exactly what to say. But it had to be jarring when those first started to come in for you and just to see, like, I mean, sometimes I just think, like, I didn't even know that, like, people like this existed that could be so vile and full of hatred. Because, hate, I mean, haters is like a phrase that we use, oh, the haters. But it truly, it's hate. And for what reason? I don't, uh, I don't get it. Well, you know, you know, misery loves company, right? Right. <laughs> um, and, and I've, you know, I mean, I, you, 
I've talked about it at the beginning of this video. I mean, my, my field is in psychology and, and it's speci specifically in criminal behavior. And I'm not saying these people are criminals, but what I'm saying is that there's a mob effect mm -hmm. that if you're unhappy with something and you can find somebody to co-sign your comment, then you, you found a new family and these people gather around the same stuff and they complain about the same stuff and they feel like they have this sense of belonging. And, and it's, it's part of Abraham Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs. You know, once you get past the, the shelter and the food and, and the, the family, you have this sense of belonging. So sometimes people have a sense of belonging like you and I, where we have our quilting groups and, and, you know, that's, that these are our folks, they are peeps, you know, they make, happy and then some people unfortunately their sense of belonging comes from be being part of a group of haters of bullies of people who uh, love to hate somebody together that's how they get their high and and it's 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 I'm not gonna say it's shallow but it's definitely very maladaptive because if you think about it they're spending an inordinate amount of time hating on several people at the same time and they're not really aware of what it's doing to their own well-being and how at the end of the day, you've spent two hours hating somebody or other people or a group of people. And it's negativity. And, and that's got to pay, you know, a, a toll on your heart, on, on it's how does new energy not sapped at the end of the day from all of this negativity? I, I don't know how you manage because mm -hmm. I'm pretty tired at the end of the day. And that's with that hate. <laughs> so, so I, I don't know how you do it. Like, how do you go to bed at night? Like with all this hate filled yeah. life of yours, you know? So, but I understand the behavior. I get it. It's a mob mentality. I, I totally get it. So I'm, my position is I'm going to ignore it. But the minute I, and I want to be very clear, the minute you're going to insult or attack my children, now mama bear's coming out and now oh. we got a problem. That yeah. Because that's a big deal for me. Like if you're going to start making For comments anyone, about who would do that, it's, it's, you're just not right. Because these are the people who got emboldened because you didn't respond to their previous comments. So they mm. got to get you to respond. They want mm. to get to you. It's a power struggle. Yeah. And, and But if you're going to attack my kids, now we got a problem. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now I'm going to come to you. Now you're going to get it because <laughs> that's the part of Sophia that, that that's the ghetto Sophia that people don't know. <laughs> Because she is a ghetto Sophia out there too. <laughs> you know, you don't spend 15 years of your life working corrections without having some kind of ghetto in you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, oh, it's hilarious. So, but, so that's the, uh, the negative. But your kids but the, are so cute. Oh my gosh, your younger son. I love it when he like you know comes into the videos and you ask him a question and he's he's just yeah. yeah. They're both terrific kids. Yeah. I, I I have to say I'm blessed. Mm -hmm. um, they are super bright and super smart. I mean, Edward is, is a, a cerebral type kid. I mean, his level of intelligence is we surpass my husband and I combined. I mean, he's just, and he's been like this since day one. Willie is, is uh, um, not as analytical, but man, is he quick on his feet, this kid. Oof. <laughs> he's he's going to be something else. So, so anyway, so that was the negative. Now, the, the positive part is the constant pushing and the challenge. I love that part about 
being on YouTube, that what am I going to do next? And thinking about the next video, thinking about the next project. And I'm already, just like when you, what I was talking about with the quilting, when you, you're finishing a quilt and you're already thinking about your next quilt. When I'm doing a video, sometimes I'm thinking about what am I going to do for the next video and what the next project. And that's what's keeping me alive. And I love the interaction. So, yeah, it's true. There's a very small percentage of people who don't like the videos and who are um, mean and insulting and bullying. And and you may not be aware of it because I spent a huge amount of time getting rid of the comments. But if you look at the thumbs down and thumbs up as, let's say, a snapshot, you may see something like 1,200 thumbs up and 13 thumbs down. So I'm not going to worry about the 13, but the the, uh, the 1,200 plus all of the comments, man, what a a group of amazing people I have supporting my channel love what I do. I f- they feel like they're part of my family because they've watched my kids grow on YouTube for the past six years. They've watched me grow, literally physically grow in size and shrink and grow and shrink, <laughs> right? So so I'm horizontally challenged a lot. They, and, and so they, they watch me grow Physically, they watch me grow emotionally. They watch me grow, I think, intellectually. And and they share that with me. And I tell you, when, when somebody sends me a card, and it's not just a card, it's a letter. And I know there's several pages in there. I am eager to go home from the post office and sit down for a couple of minutes and read what this person has to say, because it's always uplifting. And the amount of stories that I get of people who went through horrible, horrible phases in their life. Mm-hmm. And they tell me that Sophie, I made it because of your video. Oh, like, what do you say to that? Like, what do you mean you made it because of my video? All I do is clean. And it, they would they just found a message. They found something uplifting. And that's the reward. And for me, that's why I'm going to continue to do YouTube. It's for these folks out there. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I owe it to them. Like, you made it through thick and thin. You made it through horrible parts at times through your life, of your lives, because I was there with you and now I'm going to abandon you? I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm going to stick around. That's great. I'm glad you are going to stick around. And, you know, I've, I've I've scrolled through some of your comments. You have a lot of comments, too. I don't even know how you keep up with that because I don't. I can't. I can't. It's, it's just. It's listen, so much. On average, if you look at a video on average, I get about um, maybe 300 comments within the first 24 hours. Wow. And then a year later, you can add another thousand of those comments. And I, I just can't. There's no. no there's not enough time in the day for me to respond to all the mm-hmm. comments. Sometimes I'm, I'm aware that I may respond to a comment in a way that seems to be curt and very short. But understand, I got three other hundred other people I need to respond to. Mm-hmm. And and I, sometimes the comment is just going to be, thank you. Right. Because right. that's all I can say yeah. in the moment, you know. And mm-hmm. and I don't want to sound that like I don't have time for folks. I, I, I want to have time. But I work full time. 
I have the side job, I have YouTube. The comments, when I get to them, I can only maybe do 10% of all of the comments are on the on the videos. And I get it, some YouTubers get to a certain levels and they just disconnect the comment. Yeah, I've the seen YouTube. that. Mm-hmm. They do that. They, you can no longer comment because they know they cannot answer all of the mm-hmm. comments. And it's not that we're ignoring people, which yeah. is we physically cannot answer Mm-hmm. All of the comments, just like around yeah. Christmas time, I have 400, between 400 and 500 Christmas cards I receive wow. around the holidays. Wow. And I respond to all of them. <gasps> wow. But I have people who send me messages through Facebook because uh, you can no longer do message, instant messaging through uh, um, the YouTube community tab. And they're like, you know, I really wish you would take the time to respond to my, my card. And, and it's way past Christmas now. And I didn't get a Christmas card from you. I'm like, girl, <laughs> you're like number 380 here. You know? <laughs> but you will get your card. It's just you may get it like January 15th. I'm sorry. Because, you know, I, I it, but it's, it's amazing how many people you reach through this platform. Isn't it? It's yeah. awesome. I yeah. love you I do too. I really, really do. And, you know, your channel popped up in my recommendations because um, I, 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 I don't really go searching for cleaning videos. <laughs> and the, the first video I saw was, was of you cleaning your kitchen. <laughs> And you know, my most popular video is probably the type of video I will never do again. It's, it's got over a million views. And it's the video where I compare the real uh, oh, Michael, Michael Kors, Kors. Yeah. bag versus the fake one. Yeah. I got over a million views on this <laughs> video. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but it's my most popular video. And I will never do a video like this again, because first of all, I don't have the means to, nor the interest to go buy a high-end bag again mm-hmm. and compare it to a fake one. Yeah. Um, but it's just amazing, like the kind of stuff that people are drawn to. I mean, there's, you, you think it, somebody has it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. There's a video about everything. That's so true. Except corning wear. I'm going to have to start doing corning wear videos because there's not enough of those. <laughs> yes. You I'm know, <laughs> you were making that cobbler and you had the corning wear on the open flame. And I was like, whoa, what was she doing? And then I, here I go on my phone and I'm looking up corning wear and I found that the, um, the, the older corning wear Yes. You could do that. And it was yeah, made, that's what it was made out of a porcelain. Yeah. And yeah. then in the late 90s or something, they changed the formula. And, and then they started like exploding on people because right. it people wasn't. Know, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then after the 2000s, now I think they're starting to make it again where you can right. put it back on there. Right. But again, I was fascinated. And I, <laughs> so do, and, do more Corningware videos. <laughs> do, do Corningware videos. I mean, do that. I, I'm thinking about it because my love for Corningware is, is is ridiculous. It really is. And, you know, we were talking about you got to have the right tools, right? That's, mm-hmm. That was the beginning of this video. We we're talking about the right tools for cleaning. And you remember when I had um, the Copper Chef? Okay, so everybody was all about this Copper Chef thing. And I tried it out. And I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. It cleans up very easily. But guess what happened to the Copper Chef? Eventually, it stopped working. Everything started sticking to it. Mm. And guess what? Never sticks. Corningware. It doesn't matter <laughs> how old it is. Corningware will never stick. It will stay the same, brand new, like it was day one, 30 years later. 
get yourself some Corningware. Girl, go to Goodwill, yeah. go buy some old Corningware and, um, and and start cooking with it. And you'll be amazed on how easy it cleans, how beautiful it looks. You can put it directly into your oven, onto your table, back into the freezer and the fridge. Corningware yeah. is the best. That's so it cool. really is. And no, I no- want to, and you have that nice big one too. Where you cooked all the fruit uh, down the, in uh, it. The five-quart one. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. need to get one of those. Yeah. They're, they're hard to find those. I, I can imagine. Especially, yeah, they're mm-hmm. hard to find. But mm-hmm. they, you can find them. Yeah. Um, but well, I, I do. Sometimes I'll have like a the eBay, you know, the thing where they'll like notify you every time that item comes up. So, right. so yeah, I could do that for that. Corningware. Shopgoodwill.com. Oh, Yeah. Check okay. out shopgoodwill.com. I will check that too. Yeah, and they have good auctions there too. Well, this has been amazing. And I have, like I said, I scrolled through those comments and they they are just so amazing what people say to you. And they're so uplifted and inspired and motivated. So, um, and I just, I, I had to have you on my podcast. And, oh, um, and because you're a quilter... <laughs> I could tie that into my show, <laughs> but with the decorating too, because I make and decorate. So, so right. it's definitely appropriate for my show. And um, yeah, I just, I couldn't wait to share you with my listeners because um, I'm sure they're going to go check you out and, and become new subscribers and maybe we'll put you over 50,000 now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you probably but- already will be there anyway by January. So maybe. We'll- uh, yeah, actually I may, because if you look at the, the social blade and all that other stuff, but, <laughs> the analytics. Yeah. but it's, you know what, it's not about the number. It's, it's about the experience. Um, mm. You know, I, if I only had 10,000 subscribers, but I was getting the feedback I'm getting today, I, I would get so encouraged to continue. I mean, it, people, Mm-hmm. restored faith in humanity really um through my youtube because i and i'm trying to, all i'm doing is being me i'm there's no fakery at all like what you see is is what you but get that's it's, what it's like i'm so real because mm-hmm. yeah. i'll talk about the, the the worst aspects of my life like i don't have any problem talking about you know my bouts of cystic acne and my weight gain like by the way i regained all 13 pounds i lost since August, and you probably saw that in the last video, but that's my life. That's who I am. It's it's you know, and it's it's real. Mm-hmm. It's real. It's the struggle that most people have, mm-hmm. and I think that's why it makes the channel popular because people identify with this imperfection. Oh, totally. And I and then you said that in one of your videos, like after you came back from Paris, and I'm like, what is she talking about? She she is not fat, <laughs> and. Um, but you know, I mean, it's just all, hey, listen, it's, of, a, it's sort of perfect, it, you know, it's, yeah. it's perception, it's perception. It, it's, and, but you know, a couple of years ago you, you did the Weight Watchers thing and I was right there with you. I was doing my Weight Watchers and going to the meetings and stuff, but I, it just, that, that system just doesn't work for me. <laughs> so. it, they don't work for me either. <laughs> you know what it is? It's, I think it's sustainability. Yeah. Like I was really doing really, really good. I was losing weight. I was counting calories. I was really doing good. And, and I was like, Wow, I'm, I'm, my face is back, you know, and and well, I can see my collarbones. It's like, hey, I'm Sophia is back, okay. and and you know what happens after two months? As you get tired, and you want to eat the carbs. Yes, you yeah. Know, Holly, there's a thing. I, I want my chocolate. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's like, and then as soon as you get a little bit of that taste again, mm, 
you sleep one day, you sleep another day. Next thing you know, it's a week. Next thing you know, it's a whole month. And now it's been two months and boom, the 30 pounds are back. And and that's the same life cycle just you see with my house. It's clean one day, then it's a disaster again. And I think that most people are like that. And we that's are. real life. It's real that's life. That's what real life yeah. is about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I, I just encourage you to keep it real because that's, I think, what attracts everybody to your channel. And we love you so much. Look at me speaking for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> thank you. Well, again, thank you. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. And you have shared a wealth of information um, on this episode. And um and yeah, I want people to go go to your uh, Sophia's channel, My Great Challenge on YouTube. And I'll put links in the show notes too. Great. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Stephanie. Bye. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to the Make and Decorate podcast. The podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Stephanie Socha. Until next time, have a great day. Bye.